So it's Christmas. God is in a manger. It's Christmas and Easter are always the hardest for me to preach because I, that probably sounds strange, but I, you know you can't get there as a preacher. You know you, you, can't, you can't touch the hem of his garment. You can't, you can't do an adequate job no matter how eloquent or learned you are. So it's always difficult for me. But John begins his gospel by telling us exactly who that is in the manger, right? He gives us this, shall we say, transcendent view of who this baby is. He is, in fact, the creator God of Genesis 1, who speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. He's the wrathful God we just got through talking a lot about, who has judged the whole earth, right? And destroyed it by water, apart from eight people. He's the warrior God who delivered his people from Egypt. He's the fearsome God who scared everybody, including Moses, out of their wits when he came down on Mount Sinai. The, the thunder and the fire and the lightning and the darkness. He's the God of Psalm 97, before whom the whole earth trembles and the mountains melt like wax. Okay, what I'm trying to do is give you some perspective here, okay, <laughs> about baby Jesus. I think we look at him wrong most of the time during this season. I want you to remember who this is, all right? This is the reason I'm going through this litany. He's the reigning God of Psalm 99, before whom all the peoples of the earth tremble, okay? And yes, he is the thrice holy God of Isaiah 6 that we talked about some eight or ten weeks ago. I, of course, I could continue on with scriptural depictions and descriptions of who Jesus Christ is. I could go on until I fell over, but I just want to give you the sense of what the Bible is declaring here. The Holy Spirit is clear and speaks clearly through the Apostle John. This is Yahweh. This is I Am. This is El Shaddai. This is Adonai in the manger. I know it's hard for us to process that, but that's what the Bible is declaring to us. You know, we often talk about, I, I bring up often that, especially as a pastor at my age, I've always heard, I've heard a lot of why questions. I get a lot of why questions. I always remind you that God doesn't answer a lot of why questions. That's not his purpose to answer all of our petty why questions. But I raised the why question a couple of weeks ago that I thought was, was proper. Anybody remember what it was? <laughs> there is one good why question. There is one good why question. Why would God die for me? Now, that's a good why question. You know, instead of all of our petty whys that we go to God with, backhandedly, many times accusing Him and blaspheming Him because we don't approve of the providence of God, beloved, I just counsel you, this is arrogant this is foolhardy. Whatever's come to you as a child of God has come through the hand of God. Let's not be like unbelievers, wringing our hands and asking God to explain Himself. But why would a holy and righteous God die for me, a guilty sinner? Now that's a good why question. And John explains that to us. Those of you who have read his gospel. So we have four gospels. You guys know that. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke principally record what Jesus said and did. John tells us a little bit more about who he was and what it meant. So 90% of the Gospel of John is new stuff, right? It's not in the other three Gospels. It's brand new. He's interpreting, John is, exactly who this is and what it means that he has come. You remember 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John says this, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld with our hands and handled concerning the word of life. Okay, so John was up close and personal. You guys know this. This is not news to you with Jesus Christ. He knew him in a way that men know men, right? He knew him in a way that you and I don't have access to. So John is obviously qualified here to tell us much about the Lord Jesus. Again, it's a, it's a divine perspective. We get the transcendent perspective from the gospel. John, we need to know that, his, that Jesus has that human pedigree that God promised. And we know that, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We, we understand that. The, the genealogies are in two of the other gospels, right? Joseph's and Mary's genealogies. They're, they're through which Jesus comes. They're in the other gospels. John doesn't start there. Where does John start? <laughs> he starts with God. He's God. He's not just a man down through a genealogy. There are no begats in John's gospel. He just was. You heard me read the text and we'll look at it closer as we get into it. But uh, the other gospels tell us that, yes, he's the one promised to Abraham who would bless all the families of the earth. Genesis 12, 3. He's the one promised to King David who would establish his throne forever. Second Samuel 7. But again, John's gospel is different. This is his divine pedigree. Let me just read those first five verses for you again. I love these first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, I want you to see, and I, I think most of you know this, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, meaning Jesus. Very simply, John is not telling us simply that Jesus was from the beginning. He was in the beginning. Before the beginning began, He was there. He's I Am. I Am that I Am. The self-existent One. He's just always been. I know it blows our minds. It's supposed to blow our minds. You know, I had a brother in seminary that really struggled with eternity past. And if you think a lot about it, you'll struggle with it too. It's difficult for a finite mind, but he's just always been, is what John is telling us. In the beginning of the space, time, matter, universe, Jesus already was. Jesus, before Genesis 1-1, Jesus had always been. He had been forever, is what John is telling us. It's one of the attributes that I don't think we worship him enough for, his eternality and solitariness. There's no one like him. From an eternity past, he didn't need to create. 
the Sunday school lesson's wrong. He didn't need a friend, right? He didn't need to create. He creates from fullness. In eternity past, the Father, Son, and Spirit dwell in perfect love and communication. They didn't need us. <laughs> they didn't need us. God creates out of His fullness, right? As one of the great theologians said, it's no argument from the lacking of a fountain that it bursts forth. In fact, it's the contrary kind of argument. God creates from His fullness. Piper says it really well. John Piper, famous preacher in the States. This is the, this is the three lines that got me to seminary. In creation, God went public with the glory and the joy that reverberates between the Father and the Son. Creation is simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence. Now, if you think deeply about that sentence, you might go to seminary too. Infinite exuberance for His own excellence. You see it in the created order. I do. I see it everywhere. I made that confession to you last week. I see His genius. I see His... His, his wisdom, I see His infinite exuberance in everything, actually. Everything that He has created. So creation is a planned eruption of the genius and fullness and happiness and joy of God. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. Okay, we're going to hammer this because this is how John starts. You need to think about this. It's Christmas. There's a babe in a manger. He's Yahweh. He's Yahweh. Stop taking it for granted. God's come. Stop thinking about it in some doctrinal way, some denominational way. God's come. Everything's changed. God has come. Everything has changed. And if you don't understand it, everything has changed. You're not understanding what John is saying to you. God is in a manger. Yahweh is in a manger. Before the beginning began, Jesus filled up forever. And there he is in a manger. He filled up forever. And there he is. From in the beginning of the beginnings which never began, Jesus was. This is what the original language is trying to communicate to us. You know, Paul said it. He is the unsearchable, unfathomable, past finding out God. Don't you love it? Listen, don't ever try to explain Yahweh to, to the unbeliever. I mean, you can't. Okay? We just declare what he says. I don't explain. I just declare. And if you can't stand out in the world and declare who God says He is, you got a huge problem if you call yourself a Christian. You have a huge problem if you call yourself a Christian and you can't go out in the world and simply declare who He is. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a theologian. Go to. Hey, I, I was in a witnessing program one time. We knocked on doors and I had to memorize the first 18 verses of, of John 1. And I could just regurgitate it. I can't do it anymore. But just declare it. His word will accomplish his purpose. You know, this is one reason a lot of people, a lot of people who fancy themselves thinkers, people who fancy themselves intelligent, because they can't understand the biblical God, 
They reject the biblical God. What makes you think you're supposed to understand the biblical God? With your two and a half pounds of gray matter. Seriously? You think you can apprehend and grasp and comprehend the fullness of infinite mind? Really? Very arrogant. Very, very arrogant. I've shared this quote with you before. It's one of my favorite. A comprehended God is not God. He's not God. (laughs) That's the God in your head. He's not God. Unless you have this great vision of who Christ is. From John 1. One, I, I just thought of, I was working through this this week and I, I, my mind went to Isaiah 40. You know what God says. He says, to whom will you liken me that I should be as equal? I'm God. There's no one like me. There's no one like me. Listen, beloved, I, what, what I'm trying to do is help, help you get ready to, to really worship, right? God's in a manger. If that doesn't change the way you get up in the morning and the way you live the day, something's wrong. Something's bad wrong. God needs for it to change the way you live. We saw it last week. The wind should be blowing. John 3. If you get this truth, the wind will be blowing through your life. You'll never get over. You'll never get over the incarnation. You'll never get over. Over. You may remember in John 8, the Jews asked Jesus, just who do you make yourself out to be? You remember what he said? It's one of my favorite de- declarations of Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, what? I'm Yahweh, right? They hated it. They picked up stones. They, re- they knew exactly what he, you know, a lot of, again, unintelligent, ignorant people will want to say, well, he, Jesus never claimed to be God. He claimed to be God over and over and over. And in John 8, he said it explicitly, and they picked up rocks to stone him. Every Jew in earshot knew exactly what he was saying, that he was God. It's one reason that they hated him so much. It's why the Jews, the first century Jews hated him, and much of the world hates him. He claims to be God. There's no middle ground here. (laughs) He's not a prophet or a great moral teacher. He's God. He is Yahweh. John writes, in the beginning was the word. John uses this word for, for good reason. He's writing to both Jew and Gentile. The word had a meaning for both. It's an allusion to God. Of course, in the Greek, it's it's a little more philosophical, but uh, for the Jew, this is this is logos, the Greek logos. It's synonymous with God, right? It's synonymous with God. It's why it's why he's using the word, the term here. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Those of you who are, know your Bibles a little bit, you understand that God and His Word are everywhere synonymous. He created by His Word. His Word is eternal, Isaiah 40, verse 8. God revealed Himself through His Word, Isaiah 45, 22, and He communicated His law and wisdom through His word, Exodus 20, verse 1. So John, is what he's doing, he's talking to the whole world here. He's talking to every Gentile and every Jew, and he's saying, here's God. Here he is. God in a manger. So what he's saying. Here's God. Here's your God. Here's your creator. And oh, by the way, if you want one, here's your Savior, right? He's the only one that can save you. You should be cast into the lake of fire, to quote Eleni. You should be. I should be. 
But here's a Savior. Here's a Savior. If you will have him. I like this. And the word was with God. The, the literal is he was face to face with God. Don't you love it? Again, an illusion, unavoidable illusion to the Trinity. Face to face with God. I love it. Face to face with God. The original is quite beautiful here. So introducing Jesus, John is continuing the biblical revelation of the mystery of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit, right? We've all heard this from everlasting. The Godhead dwelt together. God was never lonely. So what's the first evidence of the Trinity? Who knows in the Bible? What's the first evidence of the Trinity? Hey, listen, if anyone ever declines the Trinity or tells you it's, a, it's, it's, it's not a biblical doctrine, you need to run, right? If they're trying to teach you something. But Vivian, were you saying something? Did I cut you off? Okay, she gets, a, she gets an extra piece of cake or something. In the beginning, God created Elohim. It's the plural. Right at the outset. There's the Trinity. And you don't even get out of Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, if you've been in the church very long, you know I don't try to explain the Trinity. I am not going to bring God down by trying to explain him. I don't explain God. I declare God. Okay? I don't explain him. If you can't understand it and that causes you to stumble, that's your problem. You can worship or flee. You can worship or flee. I choose to worship the mystery of God. I love the mystery of God. I love that I can't explain God. I don't want to explain the Trinity. I don't want to bring him down in some apologetic kind of way. He, de he declares himself as the Trinity. Deal with it. Okay? I say love it. I say worship it. Worship that our God is mysterious. So John tells us that Jesus is God and he takes our breath away over in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and be we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. The angel had told Joseph that he would be called Emmanuel. He is God with us. I want to read Philippians 2, 6 and 7 to you. Although he, Jesus Christ, existed in the form of God, did not Guard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bond servant. God in a manger. <laughs> How do you preach that? I mean, come on. How can you preach that? You can't preach that. I mean, in any adequate sense, you can't preach it. We can't even begin to fully comprehend it. But it's true. God says it's true. Worship. Right? Worship. Don't get sucked into all the, you know, cultural nonsense and clutter. Make sure your children understand what this is about. What Christmas really means. So we get some sense of the infinite condescension of Jesus, right? From that Philippians 2. He existed in the form of God, but he emptied himself, right? He emptied himself. Can you imagine the condescension from God on a throne being worshipped by countless angelic beings, right? To being in the womb, to coming through the birth canal and lying in a manger. Can you imagine the condescension living as a man and being murdered as a man? And it's like, I, it makes me crazy, but it's like people act like it's a it, like like Christianity is just a hobby. It's just a hobby. 
yeah, it's my worldview, but really it's just something I kind of do. You know, I know I should, I know that God has to be there and, you know, I say this all the time, so I won't go there, but beloved, it can't be small if you really believe it. It can't be small if you really believe it. So let me ask you, who's ever loved you like that? (laughs) Those of you who love Christ, who's ever loved you like this? Nobody. Nobody has ever loved you like this. Nobody ever will love you like this. John continues in verse 1, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. Over in verse 18, I think it says, yes, He has explained God, right? He has explained God. Let me just quote for you some of the things Jesus said about Himself. Just We'll just stay in the Gospel of John. John 8, 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I already shared that one with you. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. John 12, 45, He who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. John 14, 9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus just kept saying it and saying it and saying it. Don't let some knucklehead tell you He never claimed to be God. He always claimed to be God. He never didn't claim to be God. From the manger, He is God. Let me share with you from Colossians 1.15. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2.9. For in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Babe in a manger. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. The Holy Spirit says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Say, Jim, I think I get your point. Well, okay, but I'm going to keep I'm going to keep driving it home, right? I don't want you to walk out the door here and let it be a small thing. I want you to go, actually I'd love for you to go home. I'd like for you to I'd like to I'd like for you to spend a couple of weeks meditating on this reality. At least a couple of weeks. And of course you can't penetrate the unfathomable nature of it. And this is what much of the world hates about Christianity. We declare Jesus Christ is God. There is no other way to be reconciled to your Creator but through Him. There's no other way. All other false religions hate it when we say that. Of course they hate it. We're the truth. All other other so-called religions are demonic. We have the truth. Everything else is a lie. If you believe the words of Jesus Let me give you a short quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I'm trying to prevent here anyone saying anything really foolish that they say about Christ, that I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept him as God. That is the one thing we cannot say. Why is that the one thing we cannot say? Because Jesus talked different. If, If he was a, yeah, if he was simply a great moral teacher, he would have never claimed to be God. So you don't get this choice, C.S. Lewis goes on to say. We don't have this option. You have to make your choice. Either he was a man or he is the son of God. He can't be anything in between. He can't simply be a good moral teacher or a prophet, as Islam calls him. That's heresy. That's blasphemy. He can't simply be a prophet. He's God. Make your choice, right? 
make your choice. Verse 2, back to John 1, and He was in the beginning with God. Again, just making the point, eternal, coexistent, preexistent, co-equal with all that God is. If you look in the Scriptures, you see, you see all of these titles described not only to the Father, but to the Son. I'm going to give you a list. Jesus is also called the Shepherd, the Judge, the Holy One, the first and the last. Lord of the Sabbath, Savior, Mighty God, Lord of hosts, Lord of glory, Alpha and Omega, Redeemer, and there are others. Listen to the adjectives that are ascribed to Jesus Christ. Eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, immutable, unchanging, sovereign, glorious. This is how the Bible presents the babe in the manger. Okay? Verse 3, all things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. He is the Creator. Okay? He is the Creator. That babe in the manger is the Creator. John says it positively. All things came into being by Him. He says it negatively. Apart from Him, nothing has come into being. So you can't mess it up. So some PhD can't, you know, stand it on its head. It's what he's saying. Colossians 1, 16 to 17, you know, for by Him, Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, All things have been created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. There is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things, and we, through Him, exist. So everything from the amoeba to the archangel, Jesus has created. The babe in the manger. This is the babe in the manger. The air you breathe is by His hand. Your brain fires because He wills it. Your diaphragm moves because He is, you know, He has ordained it. This is how He established uh, you to, to, to inhale and exhale. Everything in your life comes from Him. Everything. Everything. You know, if, if the church could just learn that lesson... I think a lot of lives would be changed, right? I don't own anything. I am a steward of everything. Every breath I breathe is a stewardship. Every heartbeat I get is a stewardship. Every time my brain fires, it is a stewardship before God. Verses 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it obviously if he is the creator he is life only life comes from him the greek word is zoe it's the soulish life it's not bios the biological life two different things (laughs) the born-again christian is zoe right we have the soulish life we don't just inhale and exhale we know the living god Jesus said it many times in in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly, He said. And He talks about not only is Jesus the life, but He is the light. The light being truth. The Greek word here connotes pure moral spiritual knowledge slash God truth. God truth. This is what's being 
said, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When we talk about life and light, we can certainly talk about life and truth. All truth comes from Jesus Christ. We saw it last week, right? Let's just revisit last week a little bit. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, John 3, 19 and 20. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So, man does not come to the light, but the light has come to man. It's the babe in the manger. <laughs> it's the babe in the manger. It's the Christmas story. God in a body, Emmanuel. And here's what I want to say to you. If God has come to us in this most radical, extreme, and stunning way, then our response would be, I'll come to church and be nice. I'll be a nice person at church. That's the sum and substance of my Christianity. It cannot be. If God has actually come in this radical way, what kind of response should we have? Obviously radical. I know that people get uncomfortable when I use the R word. But radical just means the wind's blowing, man. <laughs> I don't think like the world. I can't live that small. I can't live for that. I'm living for God. I'm living for Yahweh, right? And in accordance with the word of Yahweh. I, I love this. This is part of my original Christmas sermon. It's what I love to preach on Christmas. I love Eugene Peterson's. You know, he's the guy that, that, that did the paraphrase of, of the Bible in the message. I love what he said. It was in a different book. I read it one time. He said, he said, when we preach right, he said, everyone's way of life is in danger. I love that. And that's what Christmas should be, rightly preached. You know, but last year when I preached the sermon I, on the podcast, the, the title of the sermon is A Very Dangerous Holiday. Because if you're rightly understanding it, it should blow up your life. It should blow up your life. Or you should be right in the middle of some combustion blowing up your life. I mean, you might be in the middle of a 20-year combustion kind of thing going on. But your life should be perpetually blown up. It, it's, it's the story. It's the Christmas story. Everybody that was in the Christmas story. Christmas can't be some heart-dead religious thing. It's always Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, right? We were dead in our sins, but God is in a manger. We were captive to the prince of the power of the air, but God is in a manger. Uh, we were by nature children of wrath, but God is in a manger. Dead, captive, damned, yes, but God is in a manger. How can that not change the way you live? If it doesn't change the way you live, the wind's not blowing. That's all I can say. We talked a lot about it last week. The wind's not blowing. If that doesn't change the way you get up in the morning. So Google tells me there's 2.6 billion people who profess to believe that God is in a manger. But we know many of them do not. How do we know? It's in their life. Their life betrays that they do not believe it. Because if they really believed it, as Jesus was talking to Nicodemus last week, the, the life would change. Present, active, what? Continuous. That's what belief looks like. Listen, don't bore God with your doctrinal orthodoxy, okay? If you don't love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
This is always what God is after. None of us do this perfectly, but that's, that's the path I'm on, right? I'm on that path. I don't just believe some stuff. I love this God. I love that God is in a manger and that He has come for me. So, I'm about done. A couple of quick examples. The Christmas story. Everybody in the Christmas story, their life was blown up. I love this. This is my favorite. Obviously, my favorite part is God's in a manger. My second favorite part is nobody's left unchanged. Nobody is left unchanged. Mary, think about it. This is difficult news. Luke tells us she was greatly troubled. Now, this happens a lot for people who bump into the living God. There's a season of being greatly troubled. But you remember what she said? Let it be done to me according to your word. So this is what real faith always looks like. It's a, it's a, when it comes, when the wind blows, it's a life altering kind of faith. Mary submits herself to the will of God for her. You remember Joseph, some complications for him as well. Matthew 1 tells us that Joseph did all the Lord commanded. Don't you love it? He did all the, are you doing this? <laughs> are, are you like Mary? Let it be done to me according to your word. Are you like Joseph? Joseph did all that the Lord commanded. Is that what's going on in your life? It's what real faith always looks like. It's life altering obedience. Mary's faith, Joseph's obedience. You remember the shepherds, God invaded their life. Nothing would ever be the same. You may remember how Luke talks about them. They went straight to find Jesus. They made haste to find Jesus and they were giving a testimony, glorifying and praising God, right? This is what conversion looks like. It's a life altering, passionate pursuit of God. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it always is. It can't just be, I go to church sometime. You know, it can't be that. The Magi, God invaded their lives. They traveled almost a thousand, I think. I tried to do the math. I don't know. I'm guessing a thousand kilometers. That's no small matter back in those days. But they would not be deterred. You may remember what the Bible says about them in Matthew 2. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they fell down and they worshiped him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it's what real faith looks like. Life-altering worship. I have to worship this God. I'm not just dead in my orthodoxy and my denominationalism, right? I love the Christmas story. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the Magi. So there's two, two incarnations. Who wants to tell me? Two incarnations at Christmas for the, for the believer. Obviously, God has made flesh. And then God means for you to flesh out the Word. The Word was made flesh. And you're supposed to flesh out the Word, right? That's why you're still here. That's why you're still on the planet. To flesh out the Word. Two incarnations. God has come, and He's going to live through you, right? Via the Holy Spirit. So, kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal with respect to the Christmas story. You know, sometimes I hear, sometimes I hear it, and I know you've heard it too, if you've been around the church very long, you hear somebody say, wow, that guy was really, that guy was radically converted. And what I want to say to you is there's no other kind. 
There's no other kind of conversion. There's only the radical kind. There is no other kind. There is no other kind because once you really believe Yahweh's in a manger, everything changes and it never goes back to normal. You can't go back to business as usual. If you believe Yahweh's in a manger, you cannot do it. Or you've just told yourself a lie. You'll never go back. You're on that pilgrimage, right? We're all on a pilgrimage. We're all on a journey, right, to God. When we got miles to go and we still have sin to put down, we got a lot of work to do with the Holy Spirit. He's sanctifying us and we need to cooperate. We've got a lot to learn. But I will not be dissuaded. I will go on with God. I will go on. Say, Jim, what's, what's your text for all this? 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man is in Christ... He is new. The old things passed away. The new things have come. God in a manger. God in a manger. So, I would be guilty of the worst kind of malpractice if as your pastor I did not call you to a radical and extravagant response to the fact that I have declared to you that Yahweh's in a manger. I lovingly exhort each one of you to a radical and extravagant response to this truth. And if you have if you have gotten if you have grown bored with your Christianity, you've got work to do. You've got work to do. This is a backhanded blasphemy to God. How could you be bored with Yahweh in a manger? How could you be bored with Yahweh on a cross? When Eleni said it right, what's at stake is the lake of fire. That's what's at stake. I know that's commonly dismissed in the modern church. We don't talk about that. It makes people uncomfortable. Eugene Peterson is right. Every time the Christmas story is rightly preached and rightly understood, ways of life are always in danger, and that's a good thing. You know, you should come in here and, you know, with the prayer on your lips, change my life. Because I know one thing for sure about you is you've got a long way to go. Because I do too. We all have a long way to go. And we're supposed to, as the Apostle Paul says, press on, right? Press on. Are you really pressing on? Or are you just doing religion? Christian religion. Are you really pressing on? So, there you have it, a modified Christmas sermon from the mega pastor, Yahweh in a manger. Beloved, if you really believe it, it is a very dangerous holiday. And I hope you get what I'm saying to you. And I actually hope you not only get it, I hope you love it. <laughs> the, you know, one of the beautiful things about Christianity, I'm done, it's like, God's never done with you. God's never done with you. He's still got his hands on you, right? What an awesome thing. It may be hard right now. It may be difficult right now. It may be boring right now. It may be, you know, mundane right now. But God's doing something, right? God is doing something. So, I hope you enjoy your Christmas. hope you enjoy your Christmas. A very, very dangerous 
holiday. Let's try not to forget that. Let's pray together.